In this episode, we'll hear from Jamie Shadun, author of the Brush series. Frozen Brush was actually one of my very early narrations. We'll also hear a funny thing happen from Jason LaFleur. Wait till you hear this story. It's time. Let's get started. Right now, we're talking with J. Misha Dunn. He's written three novels and is busy on his next two. He's a fellow martial artist. He lives in the Kansas City area with his wife and their young daughter, who is just about to turn six months, uh, six months old as we are recording this. J. Misha Dunn. Misha, welcome to Let's Talk with Scott Ellis. Thank you, Scott. I, I appreciate you you being here. As I was getting ready for our chat today, my family and I were talking about the history that I have as an audiobook narrator and your book that we did together, Frozen Brush, that we're going to talk about and hear a little bit later, uh, was just my third novel. So um, it's it's quite a ways back. We released that in uh, 2016, um, and we're going to kind of talk about that book and what your process has been, uh, uh, what it's been like as a writer, and where you're going next. Great. Sound good? Sounds good. All right. Um, so let's start by talking about uh, this character, Andrew Brush, uh, from the Frozen Brush series. You have two books out already, and there's a third one in the works, correct? That's correct, yes. So how did you come up with Andrew? I, I saw a clip you did on your uh, your webpage or your Facebook page where you were talking about who Andrew Brush is and how you developed him. Can you take some time and tell us about not only the character, but how you put him together? We really want to talk about that process of writing and character development. Sure. Yeah, that was a fun a fun process, but also a little bit painful because... Uh, he's a you know an action hero, and so there's a lot um, of traps you can fall into, right? I didn't want it to be another uh, taken uh, where he's you know Brian Mills and just kills everybody and doesn't even care about it because that's that's simple and easy. I wanted someone who had a little bit more uh, of a moral compass, um, and so that's kind of where I started. Um, was okay, so this guy. Uh, in the first book, Brush with Death, he goes after his daughter. She's abducted. Um, and so in trying to decide how far he would go to get her back, I really had to decide what kind of a person he really was deep down. So I looked back at old TV shows, and I'm, I've always been an, an older movie TV show fan. So looking back at some of the classics and how you know, the good guy was just good to the core, there was nothing questionable, and and he always saved the day, right? So the bad guy lost, and the good guy won. And so when crafting his character, I really tried to make an effort to have him debate uh, these things in the middle of, in the moment. You know, like, well, do I just shoot this guy in the head, or do I shoot him in the foot, kind of thing? You know, how far do I really want to 
take this? At what point is it too much? Just kind of had to brainstorm. And he's just a combination of a lot of different ideas um, that I picked up along the way and watching different characters. And uh, So yeah, that's that's really how he was developed in terms of the action part where he, you know, saves people and, and gets bad guys. Mm. So. <laughs> yeah. And how do you, as a writer, keep, uh, you know, is it a, is it just a, a, a document that, that kind of is, is Andrew Brush from, you know, from the bottom up? Uh, is he, is he based on kind of people, you know, that you don't need to have a so detailed written description of him how does that work from the author's standpoint um in terms of keeping track of where the characters have been who they are where they're going yeah that's a really good question i I think there's probably more than one right answer uh but for me i do like to start from the ground up and uh, so i have a a document for each character and it's where i write all of that stuff down because you have to spend enough time with your story and your characters that you know everything there is to know, even if the audience doesn't. So for each character, I have a separate outline, uh, a sentence outline, where I talk about the day, when they were born and when they graduated high school and when they went to college and when he joined the FBI. And, and then pers- there's a personality section where I talk about traits and uh, kind of quirks or things that will make him mad versus things that he doesn't really care about. Yeah, all of those kinds of things. I did the same for Amber, Kelly, um, even the side characters for the most part, because I want them to stay true to character. Um, And I can't remember all of that stuff, right? Uh, Especially in the midst of writing some intense scene, you want to be able to rely on your, what you created when you were in the zone rather than kind of as you go. At least that's how I like to do it for sure. And I, I feel like I can stay truer to, the uh, all of the characters, not just the good guys, but also like the Pied Piper, you know, he's crazy. And so I needed him to be consistently crazy uh, and have the same triggers that would kind of drive that character forward. Yeah. As, as a narrator, I, I marvel at the, the fact that, that you authors have created people (laughs) (laughs) they they have emotions they have thoughts they have drive they have motivation and um you know i it just i've often wondered like you know do you have birthday parties for andrew brush you know i mean (laughs) is is he that part is that much a part of your life you know (laughs) right i tell you what it's hard to separate when you're in the thick of it for sure yeah you definitely um i'm like i would tease uh i would say oh well I have to go right finish this chapter because right now Andrew is holed up in a cafe and the cartels are after him. I can't leave him there. I got to go. <laughs> got to get him back home first. <laughs> yeah. so. I I know that I have gotten into books, whether they were just books I was reading or that I was narrating where, uh, you know, something's going on major and then I'll be watching the news and I'll say, I can't believe they didn't talk about this, you know, situation. Then I'll remember, mm-hmm. oh, wait, that's because it's fiction. I'm reading that book. <laughs> so <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it's easy to easy to blur the lines. Um, uh, but with the backstory, I will say that's mostly for me. I think you can bore your audience with too much backstory. So I do try to balance that. I think that's a common trap you can get into is uh, putting too much on the page for them. Uh maybe in time, you know, release it a little bit at a time, but it's mostly to help us stay true to those characters. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Cause you know, like you said, you know it all and you let us know it as we need. We're on a need to know basis, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 And not everybody will find it interesting. Mm. Right. Yeah. So, um, talking about locations, um, I think frozen brush anyway, uh, probably takes place in a, uh, in a location where there are not many books based. Um, how do you, how do you, and we'll, we'll talk about the location. You can certainly, I'm not trying to hide it. Um, but how do you, how do you decide how the locations, uh, are going to help deliver the story and add to the action? Yeah. So I wanted Andrew to be um, out of his element, and I wanted him to not be able to have very many places to go and hide. So um, I figured why not try to make a story in a really remote location where the weather is awful and you literally can't go outside, right? Or at least for very long without some serious gear on. So I didn't really have Antarctica in mind at the time. I just knew I wanted to put him in a really tough situation where he was a, it was a cat and mouse game with the kind of with the Pied Piper and uh, he just, he was stuck inside and in a very small location. So um, I thought about just now, I, I don't even know if this was a part of my subconscious when I wrote the book, but I thought about the movie with Sylvester Stallone, I See You, where he is um, a recovering alcoholic and he goes up to some remote um, rehab place for cops. He's a police officer and he goes up there and it's, it's very similar. And, and, but there's someone uh, who's taking out these cops one at a time and they're stuck inside. They can't really go outside. It's somewhere in Alaska or somewhere up north. And I just thought, I was like, well, huh, I wonder if that's an inspiration that I didn't know about. Yeah, yeah. Somewhere <laughs> but, uh, in there in the back yeah, of your yeah. head. Yeah. Right, right. Huh. So, yeah, so I just, and so then I just started researching really cool locations because you can't get in and out very quickly. Um, there's limited medical attention. So you're trapped outside for more than a few minutes without the right gear on and you will freeze to death. Hmm. So yeah, I just really, I wanted the stakes to be high, but not just from the um, antagonist. I wanted the, the weather to also play a part and kind of be a, a its own villain. Yeah. Have you ever painted yourself into a corner, so to speak, where you've you've made it so difficult for a character that that even you can't figure out how they're gonna <laughs> get out of this? Sometimes, yeah, and I just have to have to have to just admit it and and rewrite it. Yeah, yeah just be like, well, that's impossible. He would die right here. So, <laughs> yeah, okay. so sayonara, I, Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't kill him off in the middle of book two. I mean, come on. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Exactly. My my wife will be. Yeah. Uh, We'll be watching a television program or or reading a book, and the lead character gets themselves into a situation where she says, "This is it. He's he's going to die." And I'm like, "He can't. This is book three of a sixteen book series." <laughs> you know? Right. Exactly. You know? Yeah. 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 There's a yeah. You have to make sure you don't write yourself into corners too often. Right. Right. But you know that better by by having a better outline, in my opinion. In my experience, the more I write down ahead of time, the easier it is to to write the book itself because I have I've already established the limitations, um, so I feel like I'm kind of 
bowling with bumpers. Yeah. Uh, right, because I've already I bounced off that. Like, nope, that's not my notes say otherwise. So I got to stick with my notes. Hmm. Kind of hold myself accountable. Otherwise, you can just be all over the map with your story. So I I need those limitations. Yeah. Well, it certainly works because the uh, the Andrew Brush books are excellent. Let's uh, let's listen Thank to you. the uh, sample, and I'm going to be you know selfish, and we're going to listen to the one that I narrated. Um, <laughs> and so this is from 2016, and it's kind of um, the piece that we're going to listen to is three snippets of different scenes to kind of hear some of the characters that you've developed. So can you kind of set? Uh, what we're going to be listening to. Yes. So the first scene is uh, Andrew Brush in McMurdo Station. He's outside and he's trying to get back in. Um, it's uh, in the middle of a, a situation. Um, and then we move to a scene where his daughter Amber is taking care of a different situation at home. Um, and then the third scene is the Pied Piper and his other fellow bad guys plotting uh, his revenge on Andrew. I was fading and fast. My mind was slowing, my reaction times a joke. I had one more opportunity. If it didn't work, I was dead. I sprinted toward the glass door, covered my face with my arm, and rammed it. I'm sure it was a combination of my weakened state and the strength of the glass, but I bounced off that door like a racquetball and fell into a pile of snow so deep it took my breath away. I didn't bother getting up. My subconscious was screaming to not give in, but my physical body could no longer bear the elements. A conflict as old as time. Slowly I rolled onto my stomach then my knees. Then I stood. I took one step in the right direction and fell again. Maybe I stay down, I said, crawling to the door one scoot at a time, my internal temperature dropping like a lead balloon. I made it to the door and used the handle to stand. I was bracing myself for another fall when Garfield came running to my rescue. Before I tell you, answer me this. Are you a part of El Diablo? Rosita felt butterflies developing in her stomach as Amber spoke the name. You know much for such a young girl. Amber became enraged at the similarities she noticed in her language to Carlos's. Yeah, the reason I know so much is because you guys killed my friend. Reaching around her side, she gripped the firearm. And you know what else? Your family drugged me, tried to prostitute me, and almost murdered my dad. I am here to finish the job. The hell you are. Diving behind the couch, Amber laid flat on her back, as silent as she could, her gun drawn. Rosita fired two rounds into the coffee table, and a third into the couch, the last one narrowly missing Amber's leg. She flipped onto her stomach and crawled to the corner. Jumping to her feet, she squeezed the trigger. Nothing happened. The gun had jammed. She tossed it on the floor, acting as though she couldn't care less. Foolish girl, lead me to your mother. Fine, she replied, walking over to the basement door. She's down there. 
you first, she ordered, nudging Amber to descend. Once to the bottom, she guided Rosita to the door. In here? Amber nodded. Open it. But I open it. Amber could feel Rosita's breath on her shoulders. Now's my chance, she thought. The distance is already closed. Rocking her head backward with as much force as she could gather, she cracked Rosita in the nose, using her left foot to smash Rosita's toes against the concrete floor. She followed up by striking her in the ribs with alternating elbows, all the while her back to her. We could have killed them ten times over by now, Skinny said, watching from a suspended hallway on the second floor disgusted by the Pied Piper's ridiculous psychological manipulations. Indeed, we could have, he chortled. However, the plan is simple. We wait until they are this close to being free, he said, gesturing with his fingers, and we pull the rug right out from underneath their silly little legs. I thought I was insane? Richie said, shaking his head at the piper's scheme. You two are such party poopers. Just watch and learn. Take pleasure in the craft. It can be so much more than what your narrow minds allow. Open your eyes. Are they close enough to exit? Skinny asked, his hand gripping the lever. The piper raised his hand in the air his index finger pointing up. Nearly, he squeaked, his tone high. Skinny motioned for Richie to grab his lever. He complied. Well? Patience, boys. Prepare to release the mist in three, two, one. Do it! And there you have it. A clip of Frozen, Frozen Brush, written by my guest today, Jay Misha Dunn. Uh, it's available on Audible, Amazon, and Apple Books. Uh, the book runs about eight hours and 36 minutes. And uh, as we're recording this, I still have some free codes to give to listeners that would be willing to uh, post a review. So uh, if you're interested in that book and want to email me at scott at scottellisreads.com or info at scottellisreads.com, I'd be happy to send you a copy of that. And if you are a uh, listener that really likes to start at the beginning of a series, uh, the first book was released in 2015, and it's called Brush With Death. And it is also available uh, in print and um audio and um misha tell us about brush ablaze oh yes um it's been the most exciting book to write i feel like all of the foundation's been laid in the first two you know so that you can really get into uh and and all of the uh antagonists have kind of there's multiple balls in the air right now so it's a great uh book to kind of see all of those kind of drop so there's some great uh, great personal loss there's some new uh, enemies that come forward there's new allies that emerge and brush just finds himself completely surrounded uh, with very little 
hope. So it's, it's very exciting. Hence, Brush Ablaze, mm-hmm. right? Because his entire world's on fire. Yeah. Uh, it's very exciting. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Before we continue this interview, this episode is brought to you in part by ScottEllisReads.com. Let's take a moment and hear more about ScottEllisReads.com. If you are a narrator, consider joining the team of Scott Ellis Reads. They take care of everything so that you just do what you do best. Narrate. Scott's team will find auditions for you, negotiate contracts, proof your narration, edit, and master your files. They have a seamless workflow that will keep everyone moving through your projects in a timely manner. Or, if you would like to just have Scott Ellis Reads assist with your current or future projects, you are able to work independently as a narrator, but can still use the post-production benefits when you need them. I joined the team and I really enjoy that I don't have to worry about where my work is going. There is a wonderful team of editors and everyone is readily available to answer any questions I have. To learn more, visit scottellisreads.com or email info at scottellisreads.com. We look forward to seeing you on the team. Thank you for listening. Now let's get back to this interview. So there's been quite a sabbatical between uh, book two and book three. How does that affect you as a writer? How does that affect uh, Andrew Brush as a character uh, in terms of is there that much of a passage of time in the the novel? Uh, or, you know, how, how did you deal with that gap of time? Yeah, so that was actually not intentional. Um, just life uh, has, has changed a lot. So I uh, know the book picks up right where frozen brush leaves off. So um, it was never my intention to wait this long, but uh, I have uh, some other, I have another book out in a different series that I've started. Um, But I think I just needed a little bit of time after the end of frozen brush to reevaluate everything and where they all are, all of the characters are, and to make sure that the, the outline I had for brush ablaze was was still valid and still where I wanted to go because that outline was written um, before Frozen Brush was done. So I wanted to make sure that uh, everything was still good. And it was, everything is, is on point. I tweaked a few things, but for the most part, all is well. But um, it doesn't affect uh, Andrew in any way since it picks up right where Frozen left off. Um, I would maybe say that uh, it may affect him unintentionally because I'm five years older. I've lived through five more years of life. I have a daughter now, so I get more where he's coming from as a someone who wants to take care of his family and protect his daughter. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. It's it's been really good. Yeah. So so that leads to another thought that I had. You know, as we're listening to the clip. Um, you know, I feel as a narrator, I've improved. You know, my equipment has proved improved, better room treatment, better delivery. Uh, I'm better. How? So, I'm hoping that in the podcast we're having you know narrators that are new in their career listening and writers that are new in their career listening. How do you, as a writer, 
recognize improvement and how do you, um, you know, what are the signs that you say, yeah, this is, this is good. I'm getting better. Mm. For me, I think that is, uh, I, I put a lot of work into my dialogue because I think that's a big, a big area where authors can struggle. And so, uh, sometimes that requires me rewriting my dialogue to make it sound more believable or uh, more true to the character. So I've gotten better with that for sure. It just kind of comes a lot more naturally to me. Um, and I feel like the uh, transitions in the book between scenes is better. It used to take me a lot longer to switch gears in my mind to a different set of characters. If I've been writing about Brush for a long time and now I'm switching to Amber or uh, it's true, uh, even more so between protagonist and antagonist. It used to be really hard for me to switch gears and start and get in the mind of of the Pied Piper after I've been writing about Brush for so long, you know. So those things are are quicker for me to do. They're easier, and the action scenes are easier for me to uh, see in my head. <laughs> uh, a little quirk of mine when I wrote a Brush with Death, and I think even Frozen Brush. I actually had to grab a, someone and, and say, hey, we're going to roll around on the floor a little bit and, and we're going to choreograph these uh, because I have the experience with my martial arts, but uh, I wanted to just make sure that it, that it, what I saw in my head was accurate. And so oftentimes I would check myself uh, and now I don't have to nearly as often. It just, it's, you know, once you develop that, it's much easier to, to do it going forward. Yeah. Uh, you you certainly have the experience. As we were talking before we started recording, you hold two black belts in in separate disciplines of martial arts. You've um, you've you've been in a fight scene or two <laughs> in your time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I and it's always funny. I've had a couple of people tell me that the martial arts was just completely ridiculous in the books and just not accurate and unbelievable. <laughs> I'm like, if you get, if you guys only knew, I mean, with all due respect. <laughs> <laughs> Let me show you how accurate it actually was. <laughs> this is right. going to hurt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Misha, you have another series called uh, The Ghost Killer, and uh, it's a different lead character. And I'm, I'd like to hear a little bit about that series and, and what it's about, but I'd also like to know, as a writer, how do you decide when you need a new character? How did you decide that this was something that Andrew Brush couldn't have handled and it would have just been a fourth Brush book? That's a really good question. Um, it's definitely something that Andrew could have handled, um, but I think the thought for me was... Uh, so the Waters series, I had been to, or the Ghost, the Ghost Killer series now, but in my head it was the Waters series for a long time. Uh, that series went through a lot of development before I landed where I did. I did try to to um, make it just another entry in the Brush series, uh, but ultimately I decided that it needed to be a standalone series, uh, separate from the Brush series, because, and this really just kind of morphed on its own. I was just going to have this detective Waters handle this case on his own. There's a serial killer running around killing people and draping a sheet over them, using a Sharpie to draw a face and hoisting them up into trees. 
hence the ghost killer, right? He's he's making his victims appear like ghosts um, in a public square, public setting. So he's uh, he's crazy, obviously. Um, but it would have been neat to see Andrew handle that. But ultimately, what ended up happening, spoiler alert, though, is that we see that Detective Waters either has close ties to this killer, is aiding this killer, or potentially is this killer. So I kind of wanted to explore more of a psychological bit where the line's a little more blurred between the good guy and the bad guy, and there's potential questions. Nothing's been revealed at this point. The first book is kind of like part one, but we just begin to see little signs that show Detective Waters kind of cracking a little bit. Um, so I didn't really want to put brush there because to me, Andrew is just this really good guy. And I wanted uh, Detective Waters to, uh, yeah, to just have to experience this on his own because he's also a younger de detective as well. Uh, and there is potential for crossover mm. in the series. So. Interesting. All right, so so Brush may make an appearance. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, he may have to. So if I'm not mistaken, um, the fella that narrated Brush with Death also narrated yeah. the first book in the Ghost Killer series. Is that do I remember that correctly? Yes. So yes. So ultimately, I had contracted with uh, a guy through ACX to do Brush with Death, um, and he had to back out. Mm. Uh, it was incredible, though. He was uh, so the book features a lot of Hispanic characters, and this guy was Hispanic, so he could do the accents incredibly. It was impeccable, uh, but ultimately he had to back out f for different reasons. And um, so then I had, yeah, I, I ended up with uh, this guy for, and he does a nice job as well. Yeah. Yeah. How does it feel as an author to? Um give up your your book to the creative process of someone else. I mean, I know that that the authors and the narrators should work very closely together in making sure that the narrator is keeping the tone and the feel of of the story, but uh it still is a different mind and a different uh, interpretation at times. What uh what was your experience with watching narrators bring these characters to life? So, I was mostly very excited actually. I I viewed it as that bit of a collaboration. So I didn't, I hope that you felt that way anyway. I didn't uh, bomb people with notes and tear their auditions apart or anything, or even the finished work. I, um, I really was excited to see where the narrators would take it in terms of having, giving them enough freedom to kind of do different things that, uh, and interpret things a little bit differently. And I enjoyed it. I thought it was cool. Mm. Yeah, I love handing it over and and seeing what comes back. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's always interesting, you know, from the narrator's perspective of uh, getting the perspective from the author. You know, how do you see this character? Mm -hmm. And you know, I love when I get, uh, you know, uh, character notes, character descriptions, and I I see sometimes, you know, those those documents that you were referring to earlier that, you know, tell you everything you need to know to to develop mm -hmm. the character as much as the author uh, created them. So, sure. so that's great. So, um, 
So you've got the Andrew Brush series, you've got the Ghost Killer series, which kind of feels like it's still in that mystery thriller kind of of genre. Um, I I saw on your your website again or your Facebook uh, that you were talking about murder in the canyons, and you you were yeah. out at some beautiful uh, places in the West, and you suggested. From one location, 10 possible plot lines. I counted them. <laughs> um, <laughs> how, as an author, do you decide which, which of those nine have to get left? And are they gone for good? Do you save them for later? How, what do you do with those extra ideas that aren't going to make it into this book or the next book? Yeah, oh, that's hard, uh, definitely, because once you start writing books, it's you just see things differently. So, yeah, as you saw, <laughs> there were several thoughts in my head. Um, so what I typically do is, I, of course, I document them, and I try to weave a few into this, the book if I can instead of just one, because sometimes, you know, we, we realize that our books, our plot is maybe a little bit weaker than it needs to be, or uh, so sometimes you can make a really good side story with one of your plot lines, which can sometimes feel like you're not doing the plot line justice because it should be the, the main story, but it's better than not having it in the book at all. So uh, I try to do that. Um, and when it comes to, to picking which one I'm going to use, I actually kind of, at that point I pause and I develop my characters a little more. And then a lot of times it's pretty clear from uh, the characters which plot line I'm going to pick um, uh, based on uh, maybe what something that's a little more interesting about uh, my list of um, antagonists, or maybe it's not believable that the bad guy I really like would do this thing. So he must do number three on the list. So I'm going to go ahead and pick number three. So the characters kind of, it's nutty, but you kind of have a conversation with your characters <laughs> and nobody's talking, I promise, <laughs> but you, you, uh, you just, you kind of just figure it out together, so to speak. Yeah. Excellent. It's a very neat process as I'm, you know, spending more time with authors on the podcast. I love to hear how everybody has a unique uh, approach to to how they write and and how they come up with with their their ideas and their and their process is different. It's just so interesting to hear. So for people that are interested in in keeping up with you, I've mentioned your website, your Facebook. Uh, how how would people find you on the in the world of social media to be able to keep up with you? That's actually right. Yeah, Facebook is my primary uh, source to connect with people. Okay, yeah. great. So uh, just search Jamisha Dunn on Facebook, and uh, you'll be able to see some of the things that that you've done there and uh you'll yeah. keep your your fans updated on on new books and new releases as they come yes. out right definitely great well jay misha dunn it has been so nice talking with you today i really appreciate your time um i i wish you the best of luck with uh with all of the upcoming projects particularly the uh daughter raising project <laughs> that is a, a noble <laughs> yeah. calling and um i hope when uh, there are more words to be read or listened to you'll come back and talk with me again 
Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been great to connect. It's time for another episode of A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to Production. We're talking again with Jason LaFleur. He's the narrator of The Daylight. You can download it on audible.com. Give a listen to his work. Jason, tell us about setting up a studio. Well, it's uh, interesting for me being in Brooklyn. Everything is slanted. Every floor is slanted. Every ceiling is slanted. So when I'm trying to sit down to record, I'm in a typical office chair that has wheels and I will legitimately just roll away from the microphone um, if I'm not like holding myself in position. Uh, so it's, it will be funny later on. <laughs> uh, I guess it is funny now, but it'll be much funnier when I don't live in Brooklyn and I'm not sliding all over my apartment. <laughs> Jason, this job is hard enough. It's not fair that our environment makes it harder. <laughs> uh. Jason LaFleur, thank you for your time today. Thank you very much, Scott. Thank you very much for joining us for another episode of Let's Talk with Scott Ellis. Once again, I'd like to thank our guests, Jay Misha Dunn and Jason LaFleur. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in.